Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 50, recorded Sunday, January 17th, 2021. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Well, today, Scuba Shack Radio reaches another milestone. It is my 50th episode. Now, episode one was from March of 2019, and that, that really seems like a lifetime ago. When I started this uh, podcast, I dreamed about getting to those different milestones, like 50 shows, etc. I knew it would take some effort and diligence uh, to make sure I put together a consistent schedule. And, and over this time, I've had to adjust the timing of the show a bit because of the various busy schedules we've had at the shop. But I've tried to stay consistent. I've always felt more comfortable with routine and consistency. And these are the two elements that I look for in a podcast when I subscribe to them. So I thought it would be critical for Scuba Shack Radio to have these qualities as well. Over this time, I've introduced a couple of new features like the Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive segment and Your Next Dive. You know, I've also dabbled into interviewing guests, and I've also thought about going to a weekly format. But right now, the podcast will remain bi-weekly so I can properly prepare and deliver the show. I may revisit that decision when I'm retired from one of my jobs later this year. So... For the 50th episode, I want to talk about the PADI equipment specialist class that we just wrapped up. Then I thought it might be appropriate to discuss the Paris Agreement of 2015, given that the U.S. looks like we're going to rejoin it. And then I want to wrap up with another installment of Your Next Dive. And this time I'll do something a little different. So let's get episode 50 of Scuba Shack Radio underway. In March 2020, we were forced to close our retail shop as a non-essential business here in Connecticut to slow down the spread of the coronavirus. That also meant that we had to cancel all of our open water classes until we were able to open up again and gain access to a pool. Quite honestly, this was an extremely anxious time for all of us. We had to do something. So Monty had an idea that we pivot to virtual training. And that was the genesis of the Scuba Shack Studio, which has continued to evolve over the past 10 months. Now, our first virtual training class back then was the PADI Equipment Specialist course. And we kicked off 2020-21 with this course, and we just recently completed it where we had nine people participate. So today, I want to talk a little bit more about the course. I wanted to do this because some people might confuse this class with service technician training. 
and it isn't going to teach you how to service a regulator or give you the detailed knowledge and experience to visually inspect a tank. It is designed to give you a better working knowledge of your gear. As the introduction to the electronic learning indicates, the course has been designed to give you the knowledge of how and why certain pieces of gear work. The way we conduct the course is to sign up our students for the PADI Equipment Specialist e-learning and have them complete this before we start the virtual training sessions. The electronic learning outlines the benefits of owning your own gear and then dives into all the equipment. In the cylinder section, there are a couple of videos that show you how both steel and aluminum tanks are manufactured. Also, in the scuba cylinder section, there is a great description of the markings on the tank. When you get to the tank valve section, you get a great visual showing all the inner workings of the valve. Now, I did a segment on tank valves in episode 45 of Scuba Shack Radio. When it comes to regulators, the e-learning covers the difference between a diaphragm and piston first stage and how they work. There's also a really neat video, and I think it's from Scuba Pro, that deconstructs a second stage. There is also a short section on rebreathers, how a submersible pressure gauge works, the difference between a direct and indirect compass, and a discussion on dive computers. The APADI Electronic Learning for Equipment Specialists wraps up with a section on enriched air and it, its related equipment. Now, after completing the e-learning, we take it to the virtual classroom where we go a little deeper into the equipment. We've structured the virtual sessions over three nights, totaling in excess of six hours. It's pretty cool. We use real equipment with up-close live camera work to show and explain to the students exactly what the piece of gear does and how it operates. We show them what a piston and a diaphragm looks like on the first stage, and there's also a discussion on potential problems. We talk about things like air spools failing. The virtual session reinforces the basic knowledge of the electronic learning and allows for questions, dialogue, and discussion. Another neat thing that we do during the virtual sessions is to remote broadcast from the service department. From the studio, our instructor can bring in a video feed from the shop area where we can show a technician working on uh, different pieces of gear. We can show the students how a second stage is tuned and how we uh, measure intermediate pressure on a first stage. We can also show a complete visual inspection of a tank. One of our tools is a small camera that can be lowered into the scuba cylinder to get an up-close view of the area inside. Showing the students the inside of a cylinder adds to the effectiveness and engagement. Again, spreading it out over three nights seems to be like the sweet spot. As I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, the coronavirus shutdown forced us to do things differently. Most expediently, the PADI Equipment Specialist course allowed us to move towards virtual instruction. It also provided us the launching point for the establishment of our studio and gave us valuable experience in what we needed and how to best deliver live online training. This course is now part of our regular offering. Funny how we never thought it was critical to get on the calendar, but after having done it now several times, I'm pretty sure the equipment specialist class is here to stay at Scuba Shack. So you should check with your local dive shop to see if they're doing it, and if not, ask them to 
put the Patty Equipment Specialist class on their calendar. Last month, December 2020, the Paris Agreement celebrated its fifth anniversary. Unfortunately, the United States of America really wasn't part of this celebration, given our withdrawal, which was effective in November of 2020. 2015 seems so long ago, and the world in the United States has changed so much since then. From what has been reported, we are poised to rejoin the Paris Agreement with the transition to President Biden's administration. I wonder just how easy it is to rejoin. I hope it's as easy to rejoin as it was to withdraw. So what exactly is the Paris Agreement and why is it so important? I'm a little embarrassed to say that I really didn't know that much about it, which meant I needed to understand this treaty a lot more. First off, yes, it is a treaty, a legally binding international treaty that was executed in Paris on December 12, 2015. Now, it was executed by the parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or UNFCCC. Now, the UNFCCC was established in 1992, and it was originally based in Geneva, Switzerland. Since 1995, it is located in Bonn, Germany. It has a staff of 450 people from over 100 countries. The executive secretary of the UNFCCC is Patricia Espinoza of Mexico, and she has held this position since 2016. If you go to the UNFCC website, you can click on the Paris Agreement tab at the top. From there, you can view a short two-minute video about the agreement. You can also access the actual agreement, which is what I did. It's not a huge document. It's only 25 pages long, and it consists of 29 articles. Article 2 sets the goal. Specifically, Article 2, Paragraph 1A states, The agreement in enhancing the implementation of the convention, including its objectives, aims to strengthen the global response to the threat of climate change in the context of sustainable development and efforts to eradicate poverty, including by holding the increase in the global average temperature to well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and pursuing efforts to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees centigrade above pre-industrial levels. Article 2 also states that we need to do this in a way that does not threaten food production, and making finance flow supporting low greenhouse emission gas and climate-resistant development. The Cornerstone article says that this agreement will be implemented to reflect equity and the principles of common but differentiated responsibilities based on national circumstances. Now, that's pretty powerful. To me, that means wealthy, powerful nations should be the leaders. The treaty works on five-year cycles, and we've just completed the first cycle. Now, in this first cycle, the countries established what is called their Nationally Determined Contributions, or NDCs, and that's what each nation is committing to do to reduce global warming. 
you can actually go to the registry of NDCs. It states that 190 countries have submitted their first NDC, including the United States, although that first one was submitted September 2, 2016, and that eight parties have already submitted their second. The United States' goal back then was to be 17% below 2005 emissions by 2020 and 26 to 28% below uh, the 2005 emissions by 2025. It stated that our targets were fair but ambitious. I think the overarching theme of the agreement was that we were all in this together. Developed countries have to help developing countries. Everyone has to play their part. Perhaps this is the idea that we are all in this together is why the U.S. gave notice to the Secretary General of the United Nations that the USA would withdraw, and they gave that notice on November 4, 2019, with the effective withdrawal date of 4 November 2020. How ironic or dubious that this date was right around our presidential election. I guess the good news is we haven't been gone that long, and we can again be a part of this. More good news is that for the first time in 2020, the UN Climate Conference started to have a dialogue about the ocean, and in 2021, there is a push to get ocean-based climate solutions into the Paris Agreement. Not so good news, however, is that the International Maritime Organization, or IMO, who represent the shipping industry, is backtracking on their commitments. To put this into context, the shipping industry emits as much greenhouse gases as the sixth largest country's emissions, so it's not trivial. So I'll close out this segment again by stating that I am encouraged with the very real aspect that the United States will again rejoin the Paris Agreement and that we will renew our commitment towards addressing climate change. time for another installment of Your Next Dive here on Scuba Shack Radio. So far, I have done 11 installments of this segment. Typically, I do a new Your Next Dive segment every third show, or about every six weeks. I take a dive location or operator and talk a little bit more about the diving, the operator, the boats, the facilities, and the food. I also like to discuss how best to get there. Well, today I thought I'd do a little bit something different. Maybe that's because I'm not sure I have any more cool places to talk about that I've been to. So, I'm going to imagine that we're in a post-pandemic world and I could just pick some place to go diving, jump on a plane, and giant stride in. Where would I go? Where would you go? Well, I'm going to keep this in the context of the places I've talked about here on Your Next Dive. And boy, did I have a hard time trying to figure it out. But in the end, if I could fly out today and go diving, I would definitely head to Grand Cayman 
and then head over to Sunset House. While there are so many other options to choose, I chose Sunset House for a number of reasons. First, getting down there from where I live in Connecticut is pretty easy. And while I have to make a connection, it's no big deal. And if you're lucky with the scheduled flights, you might even be able to sneak in an afternoon shore dive. The the shore diving is definitely a big reason I like Sunset House. You can dive on the house reef anytime, and it is an outstanding house reef. You can explore for hours and find some really cool stuff. Boat diving takes you to some fantastic spots. And when the diving is over, I love spending time at my bar for lunch or dinner. I can visualize myself right there, right now, having an Iron Shore Bach after a great day of diving. Boy, I gotta get there. Now, if I had a lot of time, like say I was retired, or like say later this year, I would give serious consideration towards heading out to the Philippines and then heading south to Dumaguete, where I'd stay with Atlantis. Everything about the resort and the diving hits the mark for me. The biodiversity is incredible. You get the reefs with 450 different species of coral and the muck where you can watch stuff closely as as the sand comes alive. It's outstanding. The rooms are very nice and spacious, and the food is really good. Really good. The resort is right on the beach and a very relaxing environment. I would have to say that it is one, if not the best value in diving. If I couldn't get into Sunset House on Grand Cayman or have the time to make the long trek out to the Philippines, two other options come to mind, and they're a little bit different. I would consider either going to Turks and Caicos to dive with Dive Provo or head to Little Cayman and spend a week at Little Cayman Beach Resort. Going to Turks and Caicos on Providenciales is just like flying to the Bahamas. Pretty straightforward. But it's not as much diving as you would get on um, a little Cayman. Typically, you'll get five days of two-tank boat diving. But you'll have time to go to a number of really cool restaurants, and there's that nice supermarket that's right across the street from where we stay. Then you get time to relax by the pool or the beach. Going to Little Cayman involves that short flight into Twin Otter from Grand Cayman, which sometimes presents a challenge. But once at the resort, get ready to dive and eat. You will probably do six days of two-tank morning dives with five days of one-tank afternoon dives. That's totaling 17 dives for the week, or 70% more diving than you would get in Turks and Caicos. And while you won't experience the different restaurants, you won't be disappointed in the food. Plan on adding a few pounds during the week. So this is quite a dilemma that we'll face when we're able to, and when we're able to travel again and we feel comfortable with it. There are so many options out there. I know we're still trying to set up a Memorial Day trip to Nassau with Stuart Coves and keeping our fingers crossed. We all have our favorite places to go diving, our go-to spots, and we all have the places on our list of places we want to get to. I have been fortunate to have uh, had the opportunity to dive in some really cool places and love to go back to all of them. That sounds like a goal. But if I had to choose my top four spots right now, they would be Sunset House on Grand Cayman, Atlantis Dive Resorts in Dumaguete, Dive Provo on Turks and Caicos, and Little Cayman Beach Resort. Break out the passport. Let's get traveling.
Well, that wraps up episode 50 of Scuba Shack Radio. I want to again thank everyone who continues to listen to the show and to follow us on Facebook. I look forward to talking with you again in a couple of weeks, but in the meantime, please stay safe, everyone, and take care. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.